Russia was a medieval backwater in the 1600s. Primitive, tribal, dark, and depressing. It was a vast expanse filled with superstition and feudalism. But just one man would be responsible for its spectacular transformation. The Russia that would enter the modern era and the Enlightenment was led by a mustachioed, worldly giant who dragged the largest country of Earth out of the quagmire and towards Western progressivism. In so doing, he forged an empire of culture, sophistication, and drunkenness. From that point in history until today, Russia has remained central to geopolitics, a fact that would have brought a smile to the face of Peter the Great. Well, Blind History Season 6 has to open up with a big one. And um, we did this with Idi Amin, so I'm going to just launch straight into it. This is his title, right? This is what he called himself. By the grace of God, the most excellent and great sovereign emperor, Pyotr Alexevich, the ruler of all Russias, of Moscow, of Kiev, of Vladimir, of Novogorod, of Kazan, Astrakhan, and Tsar of Siberia, sovereign of Pskov, the great prince of Smolensk, of Tiver, Yugorsk, of Perm, of Vyatka, of Bulgaria, and others, sovereign and great prince of the Novogorod lower lands, of Chernigov, of Ryazan, of Rostov, and he goes on and on and on, and then it says, and many other states and lands, western and eastern, here and there, and the successor and sovereign and ruler. His name was Peter the Great of Russia. But long before any of these titles were attributed to him, he was born to uh, his father, the Tsar, and he wasn't expected to be Tsar when he was born. Um, I'm Gareth Cliff. Anthony Meter is my co-host. Welcome to another season of Blind History. Peter the Great. Sure, you're a villain. You um, you were kind of more interested in Peter the Great than I was, but you've also given me a book by Simon Sebag Montefiore, who we interviewed in the last season. And, um, on the Romanovs. Yeah, the book on the Romanovs, which, which was a useful source on, on all of this stuff. This guy had a hell of a life. He lived massively fast, died at 52, drank himself to death possibly, but he was third in line on the Romanov throne because it was his grandfather, Michael. Mm-hmm. And then his dad, Alexei. And then well, there, were, there were two in between who we'll talk about in a second, his okay. two half-brothers. Oh, yes, that's right. It was a little bit more complicated than that. But ultimately, yeah. in the end, I have to say that he deserves the name The Great. You know, we've done a lot and covered a lot of people in history. And I, we talk Julius Caesar. We talk Augustus. We talk um, Alexander the Great. Massive energy. He's He's just another version of Alexander the Great. What he accomplished in 52 years is more than anybody can accomplish in 100 years. Yeah, you know, I, I often look at these the greats and I think, well, you have to have broad agreement over calling someone the great. And it has to be over at least a period of two or three hundred years before they get that title. And there are some who may still get that title one day. People may refer to, you know, Bismarck as the great one day, but he still lived at a time where we have photographs. Mm. Um, Napoleon has never been called the great because I think maybe it's still too soon to tell. Yeah. Um, there are possibly other people who may eventually ascend to that title, but Peter the Great, without him, Russia would undoubtedly be a very backward and very primitive place and would never have been incorporated into Europe and the Western world as it has become. Certainly it wouldn't be as grand or as impressive in places like St. Petersburg if it weren't for this singular man. 
and you can actually see when you're reading the stories around the time, I mean, Russia, and actually even today, Russia's a wild place. For him, being brought up is really hard. I mean, if psychologists and psychiatrists had to look at his stability or instability, it's he witnessed his family being thrown off the first floor at the Kremlin. All of those things that he that he witnessed in the power struggles to try and maintain some sort of control. And I suppose to put it in a in a brief summary, the challenge came in is, is that his dad had two wives. And that's the succession from the first wife and then there's a succession from the second wife and I suppose it played out in his favor in that the male heirs from Alexa's first marriage they weren't particularly strong one was a comp- like half an idiot and the other one was very sickly yeah but the sister was phenomenal Sophia Sophia well and- let's start with this family so he was born to this uh, incredible but low-born woman whose name was Natalia uh, and she seems to have been a major influence on his life. She became very religious later on in life. And people have written about her variously as being, you know, a bit of a nutcase, uh, in some, in some ways, but also as this conservative and very stabilizing factor on him. He was born apparently with good health, with his mother's dark tartar eyes and a little bit of auburn hair, they said, but they used to make icons of the czars back in those days when they were born. So you have an exact measurement of what size he was as a baby, mm. um, painted into this icon, which is the portrait of his namesake, St. Peter, the Apostle of Jesus. Talking a little bit about his mom, you know, she, she came up from a poor background, but she had the opportunity to be exposed to the Western world through her, her minders and the people that looked after her. And this made a big difference in Peter's life. Right. And as he was growing up, there was a German sector, which was very close to where they were sort of exiled. We maybe can unpack that a bit just now, but he sort of frequented them. And that's where the, the seed started to be planted of how he wanted to westernize Russia. So I just want to quickly give an overview because people have spent a lot of time in, in various other histories paying attention to the the difficulties of his youth. But it seems to me he also had the opportunity when he was out in the country to really figure himself out and to decide on what he most cared about. So being the son of a czar, it was never that tough for him. But he did get embroiled in a big conflict between his mother's family and the family of the the other wife of Tsar Alexei. And, and what happened was that essentially he was on the throne and then suddenly he wasn't. He was never really in conflict with his half-brother or half-sister at any stage. But he didn't inherit the throne from his father. The eldest of his children, Theodore, did. And he was, as you said, sickly, you know, vaguely inbred, not a great piece of stock, didn't last terribly long and died, uh, thrusting young Peter and his other half-brother, Ivan, onto the throne. Ivan was, was severely physically and mentally disabled and incapable. And the regent was Sophia, his half-sister, um, but Sophia had conspired to make this happen by essentially getting on top of the, the Strelsi, who, the Strelsky, what are they, how do you pronounce that? Strelsky. Strelsky, and they were Strelsky. the, the nobility, basically sorry. the nobility, yeah. No, the Strelsi were the army that were loyal to the Tsar. Okay. The boyars were, were, the, were the nobility. And the boyars essentially were all for keeping tradition in place, all their, their privileges. They didn't want too much to change. They were also in league with the patriarch and the Orthodox Church. And then you had these these women again, these powerful women, Natalia, Peter's mother, and his half-sister, Sophia, who mm-hmm. wanted to keep reforms moving. Um, and the Strelsti became obviously kind of concerned about this. And they were used to some degree because they were told that 
Peter and his mother had murdered Ivan. So they rode into mm. town and they said, okay, well, we're not going to allow this to happen. And they were presented on the balcony with Ivan and Peter. So they were a bit confused. They thought, well, okay, well, that's the end of our rebellion. And one of the commanders started shouting at them and berating them for their ill discipline. And they decided, oh, hell no, we're not going to tolerate this. So they basically hacked him to pieces mm. in Moscow in the courtyard. And and Peter they, witnessed all of this. He yeah. witnessed all of this, including the, the murder of his mother's favorite and the guy who'd really thrust him into power, a guy called Artemom Matviev. But that was the end of the first part of Peter's life. And he never forgot all of it. So he didn't tolerate any ill discipline from there on in. But the, at that time, then, they, they basically said to him and his mom, look, you need to go out to, I think that's um, a very difficult, Priobras Henskoya. <laughs> you know, that's a place just outside Moscow. <laughs> that sounds, of course, if you and I were driving there, we'd find it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but he feared for his safety because now Tsar Alexa's first wife's family mm. were basically in control. But you know, that didn't last too long. Then, um, he, he started actually getting more control. What happened was he was in a way proud of his sister and he acknowledged his sister as being a very competent ruler. Yes. Sophia. But he still put her in a monastery, you know, I mean, in a, um, a convent, yeah. which was actually in Moscow, and then he took over. That's right. Um, it was interesting uh, that eventually when he took over, he and his, his half-brother ruled together for a time, mm. um, and they, were, they both had a throne especially made for them, a two-seat throne, where there was a little cupboard behind Ivan and behind Peter's ear where Sophia could whisper mm. the instructions to them so that she could make sure that it looked like they were in charge, even though they weren't. But Peter really didn't defer to Ivan or to Sophia, for that matter. He's, it, he was still very young, but he spoke his his mind. Mm -hmm. And um, when they sent him away with his mom, he never had a proper education that you'd expect of a Tsar. No. And interestingly enough, he was self-made. He, he he taught himself in mathematics, shipbuilding, yeah. woodwork, all those different things. He Everything that he did... He did it. He, he taught himself, yeah. which was just which which phenomenal. And apparently, his handwriting was very childish because he'd never learned to write properly. Yeah, and his his Greek was bad and his Polish was bad, but he was a very smart man, undoubtedly. Mm. And you mentioned shipbuilding, but he was properly obsessed with ships. Yes, he found an old model ship among his father's possessions on this estate they were exiled to, and became completely enamored of the idea of sailing. Um, it was an English ship, and he, he used to force his, his friends and his servants to help him build ships that he would sail on lakes mm. for years afterwards. He became so obsessed that one of the major thrusts of his reign was to develop a proper mm. port for Russia, first in the Sea of Azov in the south and later in the Baltic. He single-handedly, ultimately with his team, built the navy Took a port, so well, conquered, conquered. conquered. So, so it started off with war with the Ottoman Empire, and we're not going to go into too much around his battles because a lot of it is kind of boring, and it it doesn't. It, while the Great Northern War was a big deal, there was an empire of Sweden which was enormous, mm. and the Swedish king had a substantial army, and mm. and they had lots of money because they controlled the Baltic. Yeah, and there was no other port except Archangelsk, which was. Mostly frozen over. Mm. It was so far north. Up in the way north, yeah. So if Peter wanted to have this navy and he was prepared to spend and do whatever was required to have the navy, he had to have a place to launch mm -hmm. them from. It failed in the Sea of Azov because eventually the Ottomans retook that. 
Um, but that was the Black Sea. The Black Sea. And he was trying very hard to make alliances in Europe with his grand embassy in order to displace the Ottoman hold on the Black Sea. It didn't really go his way. And there was a Christian angle as well, a Christian Turk, oh, yes. uh, Muslim angle that was at play. Yes. And he tried to get support for that. Which, by the way, is still an issue in Russia today. Mm. Eventually, though, he did manage to conquer the Baltic. And yeah. he eventually managed to take what was an old Swedish fort and turn it into St. Petersburg, easily one of the jewels of Europe and got to, to have his wish, you know, the, the, the port that he always wanted. He made alliances with people, including Augustus the Strong mm. of Poland. Augustus the Strong, who was believed to have been called that because he could bend a horseshoe with his own hands. <laughs> you know, these are the kind of legends, but also the, 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 the he, his great nemesis in the Northern War was Charles the 12th from Sweden. Mm. And this was a proper tactician and a massive warrior. He was really, really one I mean, of we the forget, top. We forget Sweden at that stage was like the superpower. It was correct. It was an empire. Mm. And Peter, from this dark Russia, oh. broke Charles Twelfth. And so we talk about Napoleon and we talk about Hitler, how going to Moscow to try to take Russia stupid. W- was stupid. And, and this a- is what Charles tried to do. Yeah. He marched on Russia. Obviously, your supply lines are stretched to the limit. Plus, Russia has... Millions of miles of mm. people who live in little villages, and the Tsar was able to just recruit them at will. He Correct. could levy an army of a hundred thousand men in a day or mm. two, which you know, poor little Sweden. I say poor; they were rich at the time, but they didn't have that kind of population. Yeah, that was his Waterloo. Yeah, uh, at Charles the Twelfth. So that was one of the great accomplishments: the, the Northern War, conquering the Swedish Empire, and yeah. and from there it was downhill for that. The Swedes, yeah, they've never recovered. No, they never recovered. And then suddenly <laughs> he's got access to the Baltic, yeah. and ultimately, you know, even now today you've got the Black Sea. But I think that was his the next lineage that started taking control down south. And he didn't like the limelight. So that's why when Ivan was around and still going strong, Ivan did all the administrative stuff. It, it might be some of these these uh, events that you had to partake in. He never did any of that. Yeah. He hated the necessary events that were always thrust upon a czar. He just liked to do his own thing. So he could just sit back and watch. Yeah. And- he used to often um, tell his friends to take command over him. In other words, that he would just be one of the ordinary soldiers and he would – You'd take up ordinary jobs like being the drummer boy in the in the army or, you know, being an ordinary shipbuilder. And yeah. he, in fact, during his Grand Embassy, which was one of the most famous events of his reign, he took a tour of Europe, which uh, until then had been unheard of by a ruler. Most rulers just stayed in their country for fear of coups and for fear of being displaced and replaced. Um, but he was he was unafraid. So he took to Europe, went and visited every major center in Europe. And very often did it incognito, mm. you know, called himself uh, Peter Mikhailovich or yes, something. correct. And would just breeze around town drinking with his mates. They were quite a rowdy bunch, though. Yeah, I think maybe we should paint the picture a little bit on one. On, on, there was like over 200 of the drunken synod. So <laughs> He called it the College of Cardinals. God, uh, the College of Cardinals. Yeah. And they came up with all funny names to each other, like Big Dick. Yeah. Honestly, they had really… Yeah descriptive names and they were always drunk and if you didn't drink and you couldn't keep up then you'd have to uh, drink a massive bottle of something and a lot of his ministers died of what peter called the disease which was alcohol poisoning and his daughter got married to i think a prince from austria and he died a week after the celebrations of alcohol poisoning so it was these guys were Serious drinkers. Well, they used to drink in London when he was stationed there. He was busy, busy cozying up to William the Third of England. 
uh, Sierra, who, who was also a Prince of Orange and mm. who, who commanded this incredible fleet of Dutch ships and had a handle on trade. And Amsterdam was one of Peter's favorite places to go. Amsterdam and Venice he was obsessed with, which is why he later founded St. Petersburg and had them dig canals and try to make it the Venice of Russia. Um, which he believed was one of the greatest compliments he'd ever been paid. He was obsessed with building and gardening and putting up fortresses and ships and all this kind of thing. But he, basically the 200 of them took the Western world by storm. Yeah. Some people were appalled by it. Other people were so impressed by his charisma, his personality. It was larger than life. If you can imagine six foot eight. And that tall man. He was tall. And as you mentioned a bit earlier, he came incognito as Petro Menshkovich. Yeah, Mikhailovich. Mikhailovich, sorry. But you know what? A six foot eight man with a little wart on the side of his cheek is hard to miss. <laughs> so they all knew well, that this was a czar. I mean, he learned to do everything and he, he was fascinated with knowledge. So he learned everything there was to, to learn about architecture and fashion and statecraft. He even learned how to pull teeth and catch butterflies. Yeah, and the pulling teeth really scared the heck out of his drunken mob because he wanted to test it on everybody. But he'd built his own ship at a very young age, and he actually set off on the Baltic. He was trying it out because mm. he had done all the studying, fortification, navigation, shipbuilding, mm. and he nearly died. And he, he keeps thanking God for the fact that he actually managed to get back to shore. Sure. So, so he was, you know, he was always brave and at the front line of everything that he did. Yeah, he, he was absolutely one of the, the proper Renaissance men of his time. And at that stage, the Enlightenment was just starting to catch on. Mm. And he was one of the forerunners there. His main goal, though, was to drag Russia kicking and screaming into yeah. the 1700s and to make it a, a proper empire rather than just this very backward, very traditional and quite dark religious place. And it was like that. Everybody walked around in these long robes. There was no sign of any human flesh. You know, mm. everything was covered. And They didn't even allow music. No music. Their beards, they had these long beards. It was a dark place. It was very, very traditional. And he, he actually did drag. When he came back from Europe, he would cut their beards himself. Yep. And if anybody that didn't, or refused to cut their beards would have to pay a tax. The beard tax. And then, yeah. and, and worse, to humiliate them even more, if you'd paid the beard tax, you had to wear a medallion around your neck that said, I have paid the tax. Mm. So a lot of traditional Russians were quite pissed off with him. Um, but it's interesting that he also had, he brought Western dress to Russia, mm. said to them, no more of this uh, long oriental robe stuff. A corset. So he was dancing with an Austrian princess and he felt this, like bone around her hips and he wondered what it was and she said it was whale bone that they used to build the corsets and he brought that into Russia so I'm sure women were thrilled about that one yeah 100% you know that he he didn't look at class he looked at capability yeah merit absolutely 100% and that's something he has in common with only a very few of the people that we've covered in blind history because merit really was a bit of a swear word if you were born into a certain position if you came from a certain rank you were entitled to things automatically, even if you were like his half-brothers, mm. kind of slow um, and not necessarily the best specimen of humanity. Um, it's, it's quite bizarre, though, that he, despite all of this love for the Western world, he, he really wanted Russia to do well. He, mm. wanted, he, he used to, during the second part of his reign where he was warring with Sweden in the Great Northern War, he used to capture anyone who had skills and kind of – 
<laughs> absorb them into his empire. If you were yeah. a carpenter or you were a, an engineer, he wanted you in his, mm. in his group. And ultimately a lot of those people helped to drag Russia forward as well. Also when he, he, he had to go back because there was another revolt. Mm. And then this is the, the dark side of his character that came out when he would also be part of the torture. Once again, it was the Strelsky that came up in revolt and he tortured them. Everything that you possibly do to them, they yeah, did. Horrible. They cut their noses off and he's let them go. So to show that they were the ones that had, had revolted and people were lying sparked or, or hanged hmm. all over Moscow at that time. So that was the, the darker side where he, he didn't have patience for anybody that was going to go against what he wants to achieve. And I think his biggest fear, he didn't want his legacy, somebody to be turning around what he'd already gone all the way to do. Yeah. And I think Catherine the Great, much later on, she married his grandson. She kept that legacy going, which is great. I think he would have been happy, you know, that, that that's what had happened. Well, Anthony and I were talking in, in the preparation of this episode about how strong these Romanov women were. These women were extraordinary. Um, the men, with the exception of Peter, were pretty weak. Mm. And I think Russia owes a lot to its its great Romanov women. His eventual wife, Catherine I, his daughter by his second wife, Elizabeth of Russia. And then later on, as you mentioned, Catherine II, who, while she wasn't a Romanov by birth, married into them. Mm. And we know about her from a previous episode. And his mother, frankly. Yeah. These women were instrumental in making Russia the great nation that it became. But his son uh, and eldest child, his heir, was uh, suspected of being involved in a plot. And he was, he was tried. He confessed under torture, which his father was party mm-hmm. to. During questioning, um, he was convicted and sentenced and executed by his dad with not a single pang of guilt. So when you mm-hmm. talk about the dark side of Peter the Great, I mean, imagine doing this to your yeah. eldest son. And this poor child, I mean, he was really just, he was just a bit of a lazy nobody. He he really wasn't a a huge threat to Peter, but there was no room for forgiveness. Yeah. If you let him down, you were finished. Yeah, he didn't tow the party line, so to speak. And and then he ran away. That really. He ran to the Austrian court and and embarrassed Peter. Yeah. Also, I mean, Peter's first wife, Eudoxia. Also didn't have a very happy time. He didn't like her. She was chosen mm. by his mother. She was dragged from her home. She was tried on false charges of adultery. She was publicly whipped and finally was sent to a monastery in, in some forlorn part of Russia too. Yeah. And eventually brought back by his grandson, Peter's grandson. Mm. So not great with family. No, no, I think it was, that was his greatest skill. <laughs> and I, I think that's why there, there was a bit of nervous laughter when he, he, he was in France and he picked up the then to be king. The Dauphin. Yeah, exactly. Louis the, it would Louis, be Louis the fifteenth. And he tossed him up in the air and you must know from six foot eight how high is already. Yeah. And people were getting a bit nervous and he probably had a few vodkas oh, down him sure. already. So. so to summarize, not great with family. Eventually came to the throne after all kinds of machinations. Obsessed with ships and the navy. Made his country into a formidable empire. And started dressing like a westerner. Rather than like these uh, dark boyars with the long beard and the funny hats and Correct. fur. The dark side killed his son yeah. and didn't establish a proper heir. And drank too much and had eventually died at 52 years old of a urinary tract. Yes. Although they did say that the reason he died was quite heroic. They say that he and his army were marching 
north and they came upon a lake where there was a ship that was sinking and the sailors were drowning mm. and he swam out despite his infection to save some of them. I mean, it does sound a little bit like it could Stretched. be made up, but who knows? This is how he eventually died of a chill and not before making his wife empress. That wasn't unusual because his hero, William of Orange, his wife, uh, Mary, Mary, and Mary was granddaughter of or the daughter of James, James II. James II of England. Well, they were equally ruling. Yes. And uh, so he was happier. It suited perfectly. Well, he to. didn't mind ruling with his half-brother as well. So yeah. he wasn't – you couldn't call him a power-hungry egomaniac like mm. you could other great – Rules yeah. in history. Agreed. This guy, this guy was happy to not have the limelight, as you said, but did eventually bring the limelight to Russia. Yeah, the ultimate autocrat. There we go. Blind history is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the CliffCentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. While he was in England, uh, he, he and his crew used to drink so much at the same old pub with a whole lot of English noblemen that eventually the pub owner called it Tsar of Muscovy. And there's still a Muscovy Street in London, which is named oh, that's after amazing. I didn't, I, that, you know, that's that first bout of that. drinking. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> that's uh, quite something.